Well, look, we are going to start a brand new message series today called Deeper. One of the um, most uh, frequently asked questions that I encounter as a pastor is, you know, how do I, how do I experience God? Like, how, do, how can I know God? Like, is he, is he knowable? I know he's there. I know he created everything, but how do I have a personal relationship with God? Well, this message series, no matter where you are in faith, you are going to be able to go deeper into your relationship with God. And today we're going to talk about something very near and dear to me, and that's the presence of God. Um, the presence of God is it's indescribable. It is, it is how we experience who God is on the earth. It is his presence. It is his power. It is his peace. It is his love. Um, you know, the, the, the word of God says that in the presence of God, there is, is, is peace and it's pleasures evermore. In the presence of God, there is joy in the presence of God. And I want to say this, that there's so many people struggling with depression and anxiety in our culture today. And one of the things that I believe that the church has kind of gotten away from is the presence of God. And what you'll understand is that, that, that when you experience the presence of God, that, that you cannot, the, the, the presence of God in depression is like oil and water. They don't mix. And when you step into the presence of God, all of your depression, all of your anxiety has to fall down at his feet. And a supernatural joy will overflow in your hearts. I, I, I can speak on this subject matter because I, it is very near and dear to me. Um, I want to, this isn't in my notes, but I feel compelled to share this this morning. Um, when we first moved here to Dallas last year um, to plant this church, God gave us a vision. God put Dallas in our hearts. We had never been here before. And in February of, of 2018, we took a scout trip. And we, we had never been here before. We felt like we prayed over the entire map when God was telling us to pastor a church. And Dallas began to resonate in my wife's heart. I always tell people, if you want to know what the word of God says, you can talk to me. If you want to know what God is saying, talk to my wife. I don't know if y'all caught that. Um, but my wife has inclined ears to the voice of God. And so we prayed and we really felt compelled to come here to Dallas. And so in February, we took a, our first trip out here. We felt like this was it. This is where we're supposed to be. And by June, we moved here. June, July, June, late June, July, July. See how my wife keep me on track. <laughs> July. We moved here by July, right? And so we had only been here two other times. And so we came here, and um, I remember, like, wrestling with this idea, God, what am I going to do for work? Like, how am I going to provide for my family? And all this pressure and all this anxiety, you can be right in the will of God. Come on, somebody. You can be right in the will of God. God sent us here. But God, where's the provision? Listen, if it's God's vision, he's got to add his provision to it. And so I'm like, God, like I'm out here and I began to meet so many people. And so many, some of you guys are in the room right now. We sat down and we had lunch and we had coffee. 
I don't know where Kamari is, but Kamari is one of the first people. Jacoy was one of the first people that I, I came in contact with when I came here. And so many people were being added to the team, and Colton and Christina, so many people, Lauren, was being added to the team when we got here. Um, and so I'm like, God, how am I going to begin to cast your vision and work a secular job at the same time? And I I began to see that it was going to be very challenging for me to be able to do both. And God is like, are you going to trust me? And I had a job lined up that was going to pay me very well, but that job was going to have conflict with my calling. I don't know who I'm preaching to right now. And so I ended up saying, all right, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you for every dollar that my household needs. And I'm like, but but you got to do something for me. I got a woman at home. Come on, somebody. Like, 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 like you're going to have to tell my wife what you just told me. <laughs> like, like, she's going to be like, what a dollar is that? Like, like listen, like, we got to eat. Like, we got rent. <laughs> we got a tuition for our daughter and all this stuff. And I'm, I got all this pressure. And while I'm in this situation, like, like no lie, my wife can attest to this. I had a, a walk-in closet. Um, we had a walk-in closet in our bedroom. And every single morning before anybody else woke up, I was in that closet. I wasn't telling God what I needed. I was worshiping him. I was praising him. Sometimes even in the middle of your need, You've got to show up and you've got to tell God, I don't want nothing from you. I just want to be with you. And listen, this is what this message is going to be. And when we take this, when we take this, and I'm I'm like sensing the presence of God just talking about this moment in my life. And this, this was for months. This was from August all the way until our church started in January where I'm in this closet. I didn't know who was going to show up opening day. I didn't know who was going to say yes to our church. I didn't know who was going to come. I didn't know anything. I didn't know if we were going to survive naturally. So I'm like, listen, I can't look with my natural eyes. I got to see heaven. And when we worship, heaven comes down and invades earth. I want to say that again. When we worship, when we worship, heaven comes down and invades earth. When we get consumed with what's happening here on the earth, we get depressed and we get anxious. We get heaviness. We get grief. We get sorrow. We get stress. I'm talking about probably 99.9% of Americans right now. We get so bombarded with the complexities of life. But I'm here to let you know that if earth is all you see, earth is all you get. But we got to switch gears and we got to say, God, I need you to invade me. I need you to invade my marriage. I need you to invade me raising my children. I need you to invade me at work. I need you to invade me when I'm caught in traffic. I need you to invade me when my whole life feels like it's falling apart. God, I am shifting my focus from what it looks like to what you see. And the only way that we do that is to barricade ourselves where there's no distraction and we are before the face of God. This is what God is calling his church to. Where the church has stopped doing this for some reason, but I believe that God sent us here in the design district so that we can preach this message and say that there's more.
there is more. And so I'm going to open up and talk about a man who was a warrior and he was a worshiper. And his name is David. David was a man after God's own heart. And time after time throughout the Old Testament, we can see that God was with David. God was with David when he killed the lion. David, God was with David when he killed the bear. God was with David when he killed a 10-foot giant with a rock and a sling. God was with David. But listen, so God made David a promise. You see, God anointed David. The presence of God was with David. Um, he was always with him. And he, let, he allowed David to lead all of Israel. And David killed thousands of men who opposed the presence of God. And I believe that, that if, if we'll be able to recognize and see the fullness of the presence of God, there isn't a giant in your life that will be able to contest you. Y'all missed a good place to shout amen um, on that because I know what giants look like. I know what the giant of cancer looks like. I know what the giant of debt looks like. I know what the giant of divorce and pain and hardship looks like. And I'm here to let you know that your cure is in the presence of God. It's in the presence of God. And so God was with David, and God made David a promise that as, as David honored God, and, and Scripture says that David was a man after God's own heart, God made promise to him that his son would be an even greater leader than he is. I don't know about you, but I'm not living for myself. I'm living for my seed. And so God said, look, if you, if David, I'm making you a promise. Since you honored me and you've honored my presence, I am going to make sure that the same way that I was with you, I'm going to be with your son, Solomon. I'm going to be with your son, Solomon. And so here's what I want to focus in on because God was with David. And we can translate God was with him by the presence of God. But there's three things that we need to know about the presence. I need y'all to get these down. I'm going to go pretty quick because i got a lot to cover today. So the first thing that we need to know about the presence of God, we need to understand the omnipresence of God. The omnipresence of God means that God is everywhere. Um, in Psalm 139, verse 8, it says, and this is David um, David singing a psalm. And by the way, psalm means song. And so David wrote a lot of songs to God, and he would sing these songs to God. And he was realizing that no matter where he was in life, God was there. This is his omnipresence. He says that if I ascend into heaven, you are there. And if I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. No matter where we are in life. No matter if you are honoring God with your life or you're not honoring God with your life, God's omnipresence is there. He's there in your marriage. He's there in your career. He's there at the club. He is with you. Whether you realize it or not, God is there. No matter where you are, God is in your midst. So that's the omnipresence of God. And then number two is the indwelling presence of God. 
And I love the indwelling presence of God. We talk, we sang about Holy Spirit. You are welcomed in this place. Now, Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead or the Trinity. And so we have, there's three that bear record in heaven. We've got the Word of God, which is Jesus. Jesus is the Word made flesh. And then we have Father God in heaven. And then there's, there's the Spirit of God. Um, in heaven and so I want you to know that once Jesus ascended to heaven after he was crucified he sent the Holy Spirit to dwell on the inside of us so that's the indwelling presence of God so number two is the indwelling presence of God which is found in John chapter 14 verse 17 and it says the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. When you say yes to Jesus, God himself comes to dwell on the inside of your hearts. That is the indwelling presence of God, and it's Holy Spirit that helps us overcome addiction. It's Holy Spirit that helps us overcome anxiety, depression. It's Holy Spirit that helps us to actually live out what God's scriptures say. So you're not on your own, that if you think that Christianity is about rules and regulations, no, not really, it's about a relationship, and as you come to know him more, Holy Spirit helps you walk out those rules and regulations. It's relationship first. But then here's the third part, and this is what I want to turn our focus to for the remainder of our time. Number three is the manifested presence of God. The manifested presence of God of God. So again, God made David a promise that he would be with his son Solomon, that Solomon would be an even greater leader than David. And God promised that, 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 that um, Samuel would, um, I mean Solomon, I'm sorry, that Solomon would experience his manifested presence. And when we experience God's manifested presence, we actually are able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever imagine or think. And so here we go. Solomon would become the greatest, most wealthiest, and most wisest king that this world has ever known. And so Solomon, Solomon, here's what we can see in 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 1. 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to see something here in Solomon. It says, Now Solomon, the son of David, was strengthened in his kingdom. And the Lord, his God, was what? It was with him. Come on, everybody say, God was with him. God was with Solomon. And so God was with him and exalted him exceedingly. So look, Solomon was strengthened as a king and he had great success because God was with him. And look, this is a promise that we can see in Scripture time after time after time that if God is with you, there isn't anything you can't do. Come on, I'm going to say that again because like, I really want this to resonate deep down in, in your souls. That when God is with you, you are more than a conqueror. That you will not be defeated. You will not be left abandoned. You will not be in despair. God will bless you when he is with you. 
that he blesses the work of your hand. So as you put your hands to work in whatever field you go to work in, God blesses you, but the key is he's got to be with you. His manifested presence has to be with you. I love this prayer. Moses actually prayed. He's like, God, I don't want to go unless you go out before me. And I think that as a church, we need to slow down and allow that to be our process. Because a lot of times we make up our own plans. We make up our own, like, you know, five-year plan. And we, we, we get all of these goals and we got our dream board. Come on, we good with the dream board. We documenting we going to have this by this time. And it's about to be 2020, so I got to get my vision right. Come on, 2020. And we got our dream board, and we got all of these different ambitions that we're, 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 we're putting down. But hang on a second. Is God going out before you? Are you making your own plans? Or is God preceding you? Is God going out before you? And so Moses is like, hey, look, in order for me to do what you've called me to do, I can't go by myself. Unless you're coming with me, I don't want to go. So if God is standing still, we need to be, we need to be standing still. And so Moses prayed this prayer because he understood the value of God being with him. And Solomon understood this as well, too. He's like, I need God to be with me. So look, in order to experience the manifested presence of God, a sacrifice is always required. I'm going to say that again. In order for us to to experience the manifested presence of God, a sacrifice is always necessary. Um, I want to. I want to. Um, I want to look at. I want to look at verse six. In the same passage, it says, "And Solomon went up there to the bronze altar before the Lord, which was at the tabernacle of meeting, and offered a thousand burnt offerings on it." So now look, Solomon, we got to understand this. Let me unpack what a burnt offering is real quick. So back in the Old Testament, in order to, to, um, to have your sins be covered, they actually had to kill clean animals, animals that they would have made money on. Come on, somebody. Like, can I make it clear, clear and plain today? Like, this was his wages. This was his, his resources. And he sacrificed a thousand resources to God. Why? So that he could welcome his manifested presence. He's like, look, I realize, God, that your presence is more important than any material thing that I could ever possess. Come on, church. Like Solomon recognized, if I have your manifested presence with me, it's really all that I need. And so Solomon, before he got all his wealth, and Solomon was super wealthy, like, 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 like Bill Gates or any of these guys could not compare to Solomon's glory. The queen of Sheba, very, he, she was infamously known as the most wealthy and the most wise person in her day. She just, just to show off what she was able to do, she actually showed up to Solomon's palace one day um, just to quiz him because she heard that he was wise and she wanted to prove that she was wiser. And she wanted to prove that she was richer 
This woman brought with her 160 some odd million dollars today of U.S. currency of gold. You, like, she traveled thousands of miles to get to where Solomon was. But Solomon had more than she did. Come on, man. The reason why, before he had any of these riches, before he had any of these things, he sacrificed all that he had so that he could receive the manifest presence of God. You don't get to understand how amazing God is until you're, you're free and you're liberated enough to sacrifice what you have to him. You, like, like, as long as, like, so, so the word of God says that, that where your heart is, where your heart is, your treasure will be also. It doesn't say where your treasure is. It doesn't say that where, it, it doesn't, like, like, look, like, in order for us to really understand this, like, it says wherever your treasure is, your heart will be also. It doesn't say where your heart is, your treasure will be. It says where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So what does that mean, Pastor? Wherever you are spending your money, wherever you deem, whatever you deem is valuable, that's actually where your heart is. So if you are investing in the kingdom of God, your heart's in the kingdom of God. So when we say, God know my heart, like that's a scary thought. Like, like, like that's not a cute phrase that we should just throw around frivolously. Like that's a really daunting like, like, like comment. Because the scripture says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. I mean, like, let's, let's think about it this way. Um, I, I used this example before. I hate Androids. Uh, like, I do. I'm so sorry, Android users. Um, no shade to you, but I hate Androids. Team iPhone, hello. Somebody's like, no, listen. I got the mic. No, I'm joking. But I hate Androids. I, I cannot stand Androids. Like, it's complex, right? Like, you got all these apps. You got, you got updates. My phone want to refresh and reboot. Like, like, I ain't got time for that. My computer do all that. I don't want my phone to have to do all that, right? Um, and so I, I hate it, but, but do you understand? I need y'all to understand this. If I bought stock in, in Android, my heart would grow fonder in Android. That if, if I put $1,000 in an Android, I'm like, hey, I'm going to pay attention to Android. I ain't going to switch from my iPhone yet because, I mean, it's 1000 it's, it's a nice chunk, but, like, it ain't, like, everything. I ain't, I'm going to still stick with my iPhone. But I'm going to check up on Android. I'm going to read up on Android. I might even encourage you to go get one. Yeah. Yeah. But how many of y'all know if I put everything that I had in an Android, I'm going to love Android. I'm, I'm going to give my iPhone the boot because why? My treasure is in Android. Your heart follows your money. Your money doesn't follow your heart. That was so good. I feel like y'all might need to text a friend that. Um, hashtag it, right? Like, but that's the reality, and Solomon understood this. He's like, look, I know that in order for me to have the manifested presence of God, God has to have my heart. And in order for him to have my heart, he got to have my treasure. Ooh, man. Now, look, before y'all, like, get all, like, tight on me right now, and I feel tension in the room right now because we're talking about money, and we in church, and we ain't supposed to be talking about money. But check this out, though. Let's keep reading. 
Because when you make this commitment to God, here's what happens. So he offers a thousand burnt offerings to God. And then in verse 7, we see on that night, the very night that Solomon chooses to make all these sacrifices to God. Now look, before we go any further, Solomon knew that he was promised to lead like his dad led. But just because you promise doesn't mean you're going to possess it. So Solomon understood, I got a promise, but I need to go deeper in the presence of God in order for me to get this thing. And so on the night, the same night that he made sacrifice to God, here's what happened in verse 7. It says, on that night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, ask, what shall I give you? I want you all to see something. As you draw near to God, God draws near to you. A lot of us have been waiting on God, but God's been waiting on us. Listen, when, when you live your life this way, where you're like, God, whatever I have is yours. Come on, when you say, God, I'm going to sacrifice. The sacrifice is your time, it's your talent, it's your treasure. And as we make sacrifice to God, God is going to show up in your life. And he asks you to, the same question, what do you want so I can give it to you? Golly, man, I pray that the church gets this in the name of Jesus. That when God has access to all we have, God shows up on the scene and he asks the same question. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If it's the same for Solomon, it's, it's the same for me. Listen, you can name it whatever you want to name it, but like I lay hold to every promise that's in the word of God. And if God did it for Solomon, God can do it for my house. God can do it for my house. And he showed up and he said, what do you want, Solomon? But man, check out Solomon's response. Solomon said to God, you have shown great mercy to David, my father, and have made me king in his place. Now, O Lord God, let your promise to David, my father, be established. For you have, met, you have made me king over a people like the dust of the earth in multitude, meaning there is, you've made me king over millions. Now what am I going to do? Because I don't, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do this. You've appointed me to an office that I have no idea how to do. And that's how big your calling is. If your calling doesn't scare you, it ain't your calling. Your calling should scare you enough to get into your prayer closet with God. That's how big your calling is, and that's what Solomon is saying. Look, I need you to be with me, God, because if I go out without you, I'm going to mess this whole thing up. And that's how big your calling is. Your calling should drive you into a closet like my calling has done. And I'm still to this day up before anybody in my household, and I'm like, God, if you don't give it to me, I ain't got it. And this is what God is calling us to. And he says, and so, and then, then it goes on and he says in verse 10, now give me wisdom and knowledge that I might go out and come in before this people for who can judge this great people of yours. Solomon saw his dad be a great warrior and he saw his dad be a great leader he saw his dad be a great worshiper 
And here's what Solomon recognized. Because we, we, we know that he asked for wisdom, but what did he ask wisdom for? He asked for wisdom so that he could know how to go out and to come in. It's like, what does that mean? Well, David had a responsibility to go out and lead a nation into war. And then whether they won the war or they lost the war, David had the responsibility to bring the troops back in to worship God. We go out to war, but we got to come back in to worship. Come on, somebody, we go out to war. You go out to war for your family. You go out to war at your job. You go out to war for, for people that, that are in, in need and are in lack and we're trying to do for God. But if you never come back in, you don't have anything to go back out with. You got to go in into the presence of God. God is calling us to go out. And listen, we've been trying to go out as parents. And God Almighty, my daughter about to be six next month, and she be having my head spinning. I'm like, Lord, you're going to have to give me wisdom. You're going to have to give me insight. I need all of heaven to raise my kid. Because I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. And then I'm trying to lead a church. I'm trying to make a difference in this city that has a whole lot of despair in it. How, God? But if I'm constantly going out and I never come back in, you see, like when we war, we will be weak if we don't come in to worship. When you go out to war, and any troop will tell you this, like you can't just be in battle for years and never come in to get refreshed. When you worship, you get refreshed. Come on, when you worship, your wounds get healed. Come on, we got to come back in as a church. And so I'm going to talk to you guys. For, I'm going to talk to you guys about how do we come in? Because it sounds great. It's amazing. You know, it's amazing to read, but here's what David did when he came in. And he led his people to do the same thing. And I want to lead our church to do the same exact thing that David did in order to come in. Here's how you go deeper into the presence of God. Number one, shout joyfully. Shout joyfully. Somebody's like, what? Like, huh? Hang on a second. Like, what? What did you say, Pastor? I, don't, I didn't hear that quite right. Shout joyfully. Let's go to Psalm 100. And I want to look at verse 1. It says, make a joyful shout unto the Lord, all you lands, all you lands. So look, I'm going to say this. I don't know what church background everybody came from, but shouting is not a charismatic word, okay? Like, it's not a Pentecostal word. It says shout, whatever land you in, I need you to shout unto the Lord. So whether you got a Catholic background, whether you Protestant, whether you are uh, Pentecostal, wh whether you are Lutheran, whether you are Methodist, whatever, all you lands, Baptist, I need you to shout. Shout joyfully, all you lands. Um, so, so, so some translations actually say, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Um, I was... 
prepping before I came out. Like I'm in the, I'm in the little office area. I'm praying. I'm kind of worshiping. I, I got my, my, uh, my music going. I got my earbuds in. And I, I got my scriptures open. And, you know, when you got your earbuds in, you can't really tell how loud you are. You know what I'm saying? And so my daughter comes in and my, my wife comes in, right? And my wife's always trying to settle my daughter down when I'm prepping and stuff because she's always like she's in my lap, right? Like she got her tablet going and all I hear is like cartoons and stuff loud. And so my wife's always like, Riley, like, you know, daddy's trying to prepare. And she kind of gets it, but she doesn't. She's five. You know what I'm saying? And then so like I start singing like all of a sudden, like I felt I felt the presence of God in the middle of all this. And I start singing the worship song, and she was like, <laughs> like, I look out of the corner of my eye, and my daughter's like this. I'm like, I know she not. <laughs> Listen, my point is this. It doesn't matter how you sound to other people. We are all instructed to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Whether you are musically inclined, and I think I can hold a note, Right? <laughs> But whether you're musically inclined or not, God desires for us to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. This is, this is, so, so what this is, is, is David telling us how to access the presence of God. So the first thing that we need to do, that God instructs us to do before we ask God for anything. Have you made a joyful noise unto him? Have you... Sh- When's the last time you shouted? And I, I'm processing this, right? And, I, and I'm like, like, God, why is this the first thing that you tell us? Like, usually, like, you know what I mean? Like, like you know, uh, at a sporting event. Like, it's cool to shout at a sporting event, by the way, right? Like, you kind of like a, a square if you don't, like, make any noise at the Cowboys game or whoever you cheer for. Um, me, the Lions. Sometimes we cheer. Sometimes we cry um, as fans, especially as Lions fans. Um, I think we got the Cowboys next week. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. <laughs> anyway, um, but it's cool to shout at a, at, a, at a game, right? But like, and I'm like, usually you shout after your team does something well. God, you're telling us to shout before we come into your presence. What, what, like, why, why would you be doing that? And God told me, like, this is what God is sharing with me. You shout in faith. You shout in faith, believing that God is going to do what he said he was going to do, that your life is not the measuring rod of God's goodness. I'm going to say that again. Your situation, your circumstance is not the measuring rod of God's greatness. God is good whether or not you think your life is good. God is good. So that's the first thing that he showed me. Second thing that he showed me about this shout is that when you go to battle, there's a thing called a war cry. That when armies form battle lines against another army, you'll hear a drum that is daunting. Like you just hear a wailing of a drum like boom, boom, boom. And you'll hear an army marching towards the battlefield. And then you'll hear somebody shouting to the top of their lungs, ah! And what happens is the quiet army gets terrified of the loud army. 
You see, when you shout before God, you intimidate the enemy. You intimidate the enemy, and y'all are missing a great place to start practicing what we're preaching today. You can let out a shout of praise anytime you want to in here. This is not a be quiet church. We are not the chosen frozen here. We are <laughs> loud. We are, we are uh, 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 clamorously foolish before God. We shout hallelujah. We shout praise you, Jesus. We shout you are good. Your mercy endures forever. We say thank you, God. We say you've been good to me. We say we'll never let a rock cry out in our place. We will praise the name of the Lord. So look, this isn't the only place that we should shout. You should shout in your bedroom. When life feels like it's overwhelming you, you better raise a shout up into the Lord. Because when you shout, you confuse the enemy. The enemy don't know what to do with you when you're celebrating in your pain. Come on, somebody. When you're in pain, it ain't the time to be quiet because that's when the enemy starts talking to you. Come on, church. When you are in pain and your life is falling apart, that is when you shout a praise to God and you say to the enemy, you're not going to stop me. My God is still good. He's still Lord. I thank you, God. You have been so good and you'll continue to be good to me. And what happens is the enemy has to stop what he's doing because it's like, I can't, I can't get, I can't, I can't. It's not working. It's not working. If you quiet and the enemy is talking to you, you will be defeated. So God is like, tell my people to raise a shout to me. To raise a shout to me. And then I love number two. Number two is um, have a heart to serve. This is before we even get into the presence of God. God tells us to shout unto him. And then he says in verse two, serve the Lord with gladness. I love the Vive team. Hey, Vive team, can y'all make some noise real quick? Can y'all raise a shout? This team shows up before the sun gets up and they begin to set up this church. But I love it because as they begin to set up this church, they're doing it with gladness. Come on, like they're doing it with gladness. We ought to be glad to serve God. Because God has already served us by sending his son to die on the cross for us and shed innocent blood so that our sins could be washed away. And, and so for that reason, we show up with a big smile on our face and we say, God, whatever, not my will, but your will be done so that more people can come to know you. God, thank you that I don't have to serve. I get to serve. Come on, that's the shift that God needs us to make. And when, we un when we've made sacrifice, like Solomon made sacrifice, this is what this is talking about. See, before Solomon experienced the manifested presence of God, he made sacrifice. So God is saying, tell my people again, remind them again that the tithe belongs to me. It doesn't belong to Macy's. It doesn't belong to Nordstrom Rack. It, it doesn't belong to Visa. Come on. It doesn't belong to the big car payment. Ooh, I'm going to come over here. I felt a little animosity on that side. Listen, it doesn't belong to any of those things. The tithe belongs to God. The, ten, the first 10%, it belongs to him. 
And so God is like, if they're going to experience me, they got to give me what's mine. And that's just what it is. Like, that is the order that God has set up. And we see what, what happened with Solomon. As soon as Solomon did that, God showed up. I wonder what areas God can show up in in your life when you give him what's his. Jesus. Come on, man. Like, look, God isn't trying to take anything from you. He's trying to get the kingdom to you. Like, that's, that's the whole deal. Like, that's, that's, the, that's the whole deal right there. So he's like, tell them that, that, that we've, they've got to serve with gladness. And then in verse, in verse the, the end of verse 2, it says, come before his presence with singing. Come before his presence with singing. And, man, I'm going to tell you, when we are able to sing praise to God, that is when the burdens are removed. That is when the heaviness is removed. That is when the anxiety lifts. Listen, some of us have been thinking about how big our problem is when God is calling us to praise so that we can start thinking about how big your God is. And so God is like, listen, there's something powerful, whether you can sing or not, and we start, I sing praises to your name. And as we start singing to God, oh, Lord, praises to your name. As we begin to praise God, for your name is great. Come on, and greatly to be praised. As we begin to sing praises to God. And we start reminding ourselves of how good God has been down through the years to us. And we began to lift up a song that's a sweet aroma unto God. And we began to, to lift up our voices and sing unto him. We begin to experience heaven right here on the earth. And as we sing praises to him, his glory comes down and our burdens lift up. Come on, it's in our praise. It's in our praise. Now, mind you, David hasn't asked God for anything yet. So powerful when we, don't, when we show up in the presence of God and he is our agenda, not our wish list, not all the things that aren't going well. Can you imagine being in a relationship with somebody and the only time you talk to them is when you tell them everything that's wrong? God is like, look, man, I'm bigger than your problems. I'm bigger than your challenges. I am God Almighty, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. I am the self-existent one. I am all-powerful. I am omnipresent. I am omniscient. I know everything. I already know about your problems, and I know what the outcome is going to be. Can you worship me? Can you worship me? Can you trust me? Look, we were all created to worship, and everybody in here, you're a worshiper. But the question is, what are you worshiping? We were created to worship God. Some of us worship house. Some of us worship car. Some of us worship job. Some of us worship likes. Some of us worship attention. Some of us worship bay. Some of us worship our kids. 
but you were meant to worship God. You were made to worship God. And listen, worship is simply this. Worship is expressing love. It's it's expressing love. You were made to love God, but God doesn't make you. That's why worship is so sacred, because God can never, God never makes us do anything. But when we willingly worship him, he allows us to taste of his goodness. There is nothing like the presence of God, and I sense his presence in this place today. And you can access the presence of God, supernatural peace, anytime you want to, and I am telling you how to go into his presence. And I love this next one. Number four is remember what he has done. Remember what he has done. Verse three says, know that the the Lord, he is God. And it is he who made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. We got to remember what he has done. We, come on, church, we got to remember what he has done. Listen, um, it's so important that we remember where we were when God found us. You see, like, I remember, like, yesterday, I was depressed out of my mind. I had suicidal thoughts. I was partying all the time, trying to fill a void that only God could fill. And I I remember being miserable. I remember, like, everybody thinking that everything's amazing. And I remember being at home all alone by myself. I was 17 years old, and I'm drinking myself like crazy, trying to drown out all the pain that I've been experiencing in my life. And really, I was experiencing this pain because my, my lifestyle didn't match my beliefs. And so I remember being so miserable and so full of anxiety, and I remember like just, just this thought in my head, the only solution to this problem is to go into your dad's file cabinet where you know he keeps his weapon. And I remember right there in my moment, I'm, I'm, I got alcohol in my hand, and I got suicidal thoughts in my, in my mind, and I remember the presence of God coming in, into my room just like he's here now, and all I heard was, I love you. Right there in the middle of my need. Listen, this is why like, I can talk to any atheist in the building. Look, we can, you can try to refute scripture all day long, but you can't refute my experience. God is real. God is so real. And he, he came in my most dire need, and he said, son, I love you. And it was like I got the hug from my father that I always wanted. And he began to tell me that he affirmed me right there. And he said, I got great things in store for you, son. I love you so much. Right in the middle of my sin. You see, it's the love of God that snatched when we were dead in our sins. Christ died for the ungodly. He didn't wait for you to get cleaned up in order to do something for you. No, he saw you in a mess and he saw you in a grave that you could not get out of. So he stepped down from heaven and he came down and invaded your space and he lifted you up from a pit that you could never get out of. God first loved us. And so for that reason, man, like it is so easy. I could be driving down the road and just remember and I could slip right into worship. God, thank you. 
should have been dead, God. Thank you. I was depressed, God. Thank you. Listen, this is what praise means. Praise, praise means to thank God for what he has done. Like how many times, like are we thankful, church? No, like, but really, like, are we thankful? Like, do you spend most of your time, like, like thinking about the things that you're thankful for or thinking about the things that aren't right? And I'm here to let you know that that's got to be the switch because if you're always looking at your problems, you can't see your promise. And God is saying, look, I need you to see that I've been good to you. So when I enter in the presence of God, before, before I ask God for anything, and I know I'm wanting to access who he is, the first thing that I'm doing is thank you for the cross. That I, I lift up my hands and I say, thank you, God, for shedding your blood for me so that I could be forgiven. Back in the Old Testament, they had rituals that they had to follow in order to access the presence of God. And right in the temple, as soon as you entered into the temple, they had a big bowl, a washing bowl. And in the bottom of the bowl was a mirror. And the reason why it was a mirror in the washing bowl is because they would have to look down to wash themselves from head to toe, and they would have to see themselves. And they would remind themselves, God, thank you for washing my mind. Thank you for washing me from all my unclean thoughts. Thank you for washing my hands because I've done wrong. Thank you for washing my feet because I've gone to wrong places. And this is what our prayer, our praise time should actually look like. You need to think about the goodness of God. In order to be thankful, you got to be thoughtful. And when you're thoughtful about the presence of God and what God has done for you, then you can access his glory. And when you do, that's when you're restored. Which brings me to number five. Number five is express thanks. It says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. Here's what I want to charge you with, church, as I begin to close. I need you all desperately to journal. And this is a discipline that I'm trying to incorporate into my life as well, too, consistently. And we're in a season of Thanksgiving. It's more than turkey, more than dressing, more than sweet potato pie. Oh, my God. More than all of this. So I didn't distract my own self. It's more than all that. It's even more, more than like you being able to get all your family around. Because if you get all your family around and you don't express thanks, you missed it. You missed it. So I want you guys to begin to document what has God done for you. And as you do this, when you come into the, the presence of God, before you access him, I want you to start saying what you are thankful for. And as you do this, you will go deeper into the presence of God. You don't come straight into a king's palace and start telling him everything that's wrong in his kingdom. No. When a king enters the room, you bow down. Look, look, like God, God is not on the same like democrat, de democracy, like, 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 like situation that we experience here in America. No, he is a theocracy. There is a king and there is the king's people. And when he enters into the room, 
you bow down with a grateful heart and say, thank you, God. Thank you, God. And we bless his name. And that's how we access the, the kingdom of God. And the last thing that I'll say is this. It's found in Ezekiel chapter 46, verse 9. There was, there's a rule that I want to I wanna, I wanna highlight. And it's a really it's a cool rule once we dig a little bit deeper in it and you'll understand why. It says, but when the people of the land come before the Lord on the appointed feast days, whoever enters by the north gate or when you come in one way to worship, you shall go out by way of the south gate or another way. And whoever enters by the south gate shall go out by the north gate and shall not return by way of the gate which he came, but shall go out the opposite gate. So when you come into the presence of God, you may come in depressed. You may come in with anxiety. You may come in with fear. You may come in with doubt. But you are not to leave the presence of God the same way that you came in. If you came in depressed, you are going to leave with joy. When you are coming in with anxiety, you are going to leave with peace. The only rule that God says, don't you leave my goodness the same way that you came. Amen. When you're in the presence of a king, everything changes. Everything changes when you're in the presence of the king. So you don't come in for yourself. You come in for him. But when you make him your focus, he always comes in and he asks, what do you want? And I'll give it to you. Isn't that just like us as parents? Right? My baby girl does everything the way that she's supposed to do it, and she's honoring, and she's polite. I'm like, girl, what you want? <laughs> Same way that God is to us. Amen?